0: Excited about today's message. Uh, We're jumping into Ephesians again. I want to say hi to Pastor Carl Miller. He was a a mentor for me when I began here. Um, I had the privilege of following him at Grace Community Church, and he plowed the way uh, a lot for what's happening today, his prayers and his faithfulness. I just want to thank God for it. Pastor Carl, good seeing you today. Can we thank Pastor Carl Miller for being here today? God bless you. He was a man that spent time with me when I jumped fresh out of seminary uh, uh, 15 years ago. In fact, this week is uh, 15 years for me here at Grace Community Church. Kind of exciting to think about. I'm excited about that. Uh, But Carl uh, invested in me, and great to see you today, Pastor Carl. Um, I'm excited today to jump into this text. It's a passage that Paul wrote to a church that he dearly loved. Ephesians or Acts chapter 20 actually gives a snapshot when he was visiting with the elders at Ephesus for the very last time. He thought this might be the last time he sees them. The passage says that he kissed the elders, hugged them, and wept tears because he loved them so much. He really loved this church here. And so when he writes the things that he is writing, and we're going to look at today, he's writing them from a heart that he longs so badly for them to live to the redemptive potential that Christ created them to live. And so when he says these things that are hard, it's not because he wants to beat them up. It's because he longs to see them live the way that Christ intended them to live and to live beyond where they're living now. And so this letter comes from a man who loved this church. And today, I long for the same for you and for me personally, that we would live to the redemptive potential Christ has created us to live. And when we do, it's, we live differently. But in our world today... It's easily, um, it, where well, you can easily see those who settle in the Christian walk. And, and, and you, you could have stories, and I have stories of people that I've met with and that you've met with, that you walk away and you're disappointed because you see great potential in these people and, and their Christ followers that they choose to, to not live to the potential they've been created to live. And so you're disappointed. And way too often people settle for one reason or another to fit in um, uh, to, to, to climb up, they think that somehow if they do other things outside of what God wants them to do, they get the shortcut there. And when the end result, they lose the blessing and favor of God. I've seen over and over again people trying to, to work their own way to get what they want. And they're happy for a season. But then that season of happiness leaves because they left God out of the picture. So as they, they try to get there, this shortcut they miss out on what Christ intended them to be and who they intend to be. We live in a world that is lost. We live in a world that is evil. We live in a world that has good. And so our goal is to live in this world and to make a difference. Let me try to explain that to you today. There has always been and always will be this discussion in our world about lines. Where do you draw the line in your walk? And today I'm going to try to explain that as best as I can. Today, we have these two lines that I'm demonstrating here. For for sake of purpose of this illustration, we as Christians, we use this terminology line. I won't go any farther. This is as far as I'll go. In other words, this is the line that Christians stop at. And if I go any farther than this, then I've crossed the line. And I'm not doing what God wants me to do. Now the picture is the same for those who don't know Christ, they have a line too. Somewhere it's etched in the sand that's different than us. It's not like us because they don't have the Holy Spirit living in us. And so their line is different than our line. And so from beginning of time, since... since Sin has come into the world. There has been this, this drawing, or as we say, that this line has moved. And it kind of has moved over and over and over. And some would say that it's so close to the world today that there's not much difference in this line. It's like it's blended together. It's like I can't even tell the difference anymore or where the line stops. Now, when Jesus came into the world... He came, and the text shows us that he came and he walked with us. One translation says, Jesus became flesh and blood and walked among his people. Jesus didn't come and establish this line and say, hey, I'm over here and you're over there. That wasn't Jesus' approach to ministry. He didn't stand on the other side of those who, didn't, who weren't Christ followers and hold a sign up and say, Repent. He didn't stand and call them names. He didn't separate himself from the others who didn't know Christ. And yet, we have this dilemma that we have in our world. How can we be in the world but not of the world? How is it possible to live in this world and not get affected or, or, or blended in with the world? And so in our minds, we don't think it's possible to be a Christ follower... And what has happened is you have all these people who are different. And I would use the word weird. I think Paul, when he writes this passage today, is telling us to be different than the world. Not weird, not people out here who are weird, who don't know how to communicate, who hold signs and they stand on that side and we stand on this side. and We both know what we stand for and need, or, or we know what we stand against and neither of us is ready to cross over. So you have this dilemma. How do we live in this world without, without finding ourselves doing what the world does? I want you to think through this maybe in a fresh way today. I think what we've taken as a line, we've, we've, we've made this line an address. It's like, this is the address of Christians. And so we've taken this line. Instead of making an address, let's address, let's make this line a conviction, So the line of conviction, instead of the line of an address which says, Christians live over here, non-Christians live over there. What would have happened if Christ decided to live this way? We would all be lost. He chose to live and walk with people. He chose to become friend to sinners. So instead of having a line that was his address, this line became a conviction. So I'm going to propose to you today, instead of using this line as an address... Use it as conviction, a line of conviction. So you can walk in this world. You can be with people who don't know Christ. You're not separated from them, but you still have your line of conviction. And so do they. But while you live here, Paul is going to show us today, you should be different. Now, you've heard me say this, but it's as if I want to say it a hundred times. If it can imprint on our brain... We should look different than those who don't know Christ. There should be a distinctive. We have a living God living in us. Instead of holding your sign over there, let's turn this line of an address into a line of conviction and live in the world. Grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, and I'm going to show you what this means. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Paul is calling us to be different. Not to be weird, but be different. Stand with me, and if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Hold your hand up while you're standing. Ushers will be glad to put a Bible in your hand. Let's read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7 out loud. Let's read it together. Read it with me. Ready? Read. Be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure... No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater and has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You may have a seat. Think through this again as I try to play this out through the message. Lines are not meant to be addresses. The lines are meant to be convictions. Yet so many Christians use the lines as addresses which separate us from the world. I propose today, as Paul does, that these lines become convictions as opposed to addresses. We're supposed to live in this world, and take the light to the world. You can't take the light to the world if the line is an address. So how do we be different? How do we live differently? Paul gives us an example. And I'm going to break this down in two ways today. The first one is this. Be different in the way you love others. Look back at verses 1 through one and 2. Paul says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. There's the word love and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I long for us at Grace Community Church to be people of love and live a life of love like God did. The word imitate or imitators, is an interesting word. We have imitations in our world. We have knockoffs. This word in the original, in the Greek, is the Greek word mimiktas. You get the word mimic out of it. And so the word imitation comes from it. It means to make a copy as close to the original as possible. We know we can never be and model exactly who Christ is. Our desire is to be like God, but we are imperfect human beings. We have an old man and, that lives in us. So we're supposed to model god now think about that for a second that's a tough challenge for us maybe it isn't for you but it is for me i wake up every day with a sin nature and say wow there's a lot of stuff in me that still needs refined and praise god for sanctification that regularly progressively makes me more like christ if i lean to him the word mimic to make a copy as close to the original it means something in our world if you have children i have children i have three children two sons on many occasions, people will say, man, Jim, your boys are split an image of you. They, 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 they just look just like you. They mimic you. In other words, when, when the, the mole was made for a brown boy, it looks the same. And maybe you've heard that about your children, or maybe you look like your parent. Or we say things like, there is no denying that she is your daughter or your son. They mimic you. They look like you. They model your appearance. Or you might say they're like two peas in a pod. You can tell they come from the same pod. In this case, we're supposed to have the actions and love that Jesus had for others. We like to model people. We like to mimic people. We have heroes in our world. We love... Uh, all kinds of heroes. You know, Some of you are basketball fans. You say, I'm LeBron James. You go out in your, your driveway and you hit a shot or you, or you dunk and you say, LeBron James. And, and you're excited. You want to be like him. Or maybe you want to be like Michael Jordan and you hit a fadeaway jumper. And, or maybe you want to be like Barry Bonds and you take steroids and you hit home runs. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is, you, you, you look like who it is. We're speaking truth today. Whatever it is, I mean, we we try to be like someone in our world. Or Maybe it's Michael Jackson. You can do the moonwalk. I can't, and I'm going to attempt to, like Michael Jackson. But how often you say, I want to be like Jesus Christ. Seriously, who wants to look like a cross and go to the cross? Who wants to be like Christ? How often you say, Jesus Christ. That's the picture in here. God is saying, mimic God. And listen, when you mimic God, it's not the pretty picture of receiving lots of money. There's sacrifice, there's pain, there's suffering, but there's great joy because not only was he on the cross, he was resurrected, and the very resurrection of God lives in us. And the same power that was resurrected from the grave lives in us. But the picture is mimic God, mimic Jesus. Alexander the Great was an amazing leader. He once had someone in his infantry with the same name as Alexander. And he heard that he was a coward. And he went to this infantry soldier and he said this, either renounce your name or do away with your cowardly ways. He said, if you're going to have my name, then live up to the name. Paul is saying, live up to the name of God himself, Jesus Christ too. So don't read over this too quickly. This imitation will cost you something. Now, let me just address single people today. This imitation for, for you might mean when it comes to dating someone that you might go longer than you anticipated until you find Mr. Right or, or Mrs. Right. You might have to go longer and you don't have to settle. Paul is saying, don't settle, we need to mimic God. You might have to, to make business decisions as business owners that will cost you more money because you're making decisions out of integrity. Because that's what people do who mimic God. We, to, a person of integrity is fidelity to the original. And so fidelity to the original is being like God, it might cost you something. But in the end, you're different and you're being like Christ. You might be misunderstood in our world. You might be a a, a graduate today and find yourself on a campus one day and people are asking you to choose this behavior, to choose this pattern of living. And you're saying, I will live with you, but my line of conviction is different. I will love you, but I won't do as you do. You'll have lots of pressures. You have pressures in the workplace. You have pressures in all forms of life. And Paul was saying, Live like Christ lived. Love people, but don't be like the lost people. You see, we have a world that's full of knockoff Christians. Way too many people call themselves followers of Christ, and yet they don't live in this world with the line of conviction that a Christ follower has. Part of that could be because their filter is clogged. Their hearts are rattled with sin that's been unconfessed and that are not repentant. So Paul is saying, there should be a distinct difference in the way we live our lives and even the way we love others. Secondly, he says this, be different in thoughts and actions. Now this next passage, I won't pretend that it's easy information. And and it's meant, like Paul was, he longed for the church at Ephesus to be more Christ-like, I long for the church at Grace Community to be Christ-like. And so he says this. Look at verse 3. He said, but among you there must not be even a what? What's the next word? Hint of sexual immorality. Let's just pause there. What's a hint? A hint is to have a slight or barely noticeable amount. It's not jumping in and exploring and trying it out and saying, hey, I shouldn't be doing this. It's getting so close to it that you get residue on on you from someone else who's doing it. It's this picture of of rubbing up against. And and Paul says there should not even be a hint, a residue, not a dust drop on you. Now, that's a strong statement, especially when we live in the world that we are bombarded it with sexual temptation. But he doesn't stop there. He says there should not be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. You could attach hint to that too. Hints of impurity, hints of greed. Just pause for a second and think about the world we live in. Pornography is available you know and for the first time in our world in many many years we have an x-rated bookstore on our desktop we don't even have to run down the street we can click and view click and view credit card and pay and so even in our world today in 1 second 28258 people will download download porn on the internet every second 28000 people download pornography into their computer Think about that for a second. Wrap your mind around that. The other reality is this. The money spent on pornography in our world, the billions of dollars that's spent regularly on pornography is enough money. Listen to me. Enough money in our world to feed every living human being. If we took the money that was wasted on pornography, the sin that people are entrenched in, and we decided to turn it into good, we could feed the entire world and there would not be one starving person in our world and there would be excess left over. That's how bad it is. So Paul is saying, don't even allow a hint of, of sexual immorality. I mean, even in our world, we've taken this line of conviction because maybe it started out like, you know, I want to get to know this person and I want to spend time with them. And so in, in all these pressures that have come upon you, what has happened, those pressures have infiltrated your filtering system, your heart and your mind. And, and it, has, it has clogged it up. And so when you make decisions, it's not much different than the world. I mean, think about all the people who just choose to live together. Well, we're going to live together. And here's how they, some people reason. And I've heard all the reasons. Because it's cheaper for us to live together now and we'll get a head start in marriage. <laughs> I want to say... Holy cow, where do you get that logic from? You get it from the line of conviction from the world. Instead of being different than the world, you've let their line of conviction rub off on you. There's no way that God would ever bless people who cohabit together before marriage. The picture is this, making the decisions that Christ wants you to make. Paul was saying there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. But does our world need a good dose of purity? Absolutely, yes. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago. Do you think things have gotten better since 2,000 years ago? They haven't gotten better. Now, so we are, we're always asking. Your kids are always asking. And you maybe you ask, how far can I go in this dating relationship? Where's the line? And we always have a spatial where, how far can I go? And so these people that date, let's picture this way. I'm going to give you an example today. Two people date to my favorite characters. They're back. Yay! <laughs> my two favorite characters and they're, they're out dating. And so in your mind, you ask your parents, how far can I go? Or maybe you, you just determine on your own through this is a far. And, and for some, it might be, you know what? We'll just hold hands. Aren't they cute? Look at them. Let's just, or maybe for you, it's just, let's just look at each other and roll our eyes. I mean, there's a line somewhere. That's as far as I'm going to go. And maybe for you, it's the guy says, as far as I go, I'm going to put my hand around her shoulder. That's, that's it. And I, that's it. Or maybe for her, it's like, all I'm going to do is rub his head. Oh, rub his head. I don't know what your line is, whatever your line is. Maybe your line is, I'm going to kiss. We'll just little pecks. No French kissing, but we'll peck. I mean, you all have lines. And so the question always is, how far can I go? Why do we always ask that question? Why does it always have to be how far? Because as soon as you find out how far you can go, you keep pushing the line. And so the question should be, what is it that Christ would be glorified with in this relationship? So the next time you wonder, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Give Jesus permission. We'll bring Jesus back. Give him permission. Give Jesus permission at any time in this relationship. To tap you out and say, hey, I got this one. And let him enter wherever you're at in that moment. So, would Jesus do the same thing that you're doing in that moment? Would he rub her head? I don't know. Would he hold her hand? Would he Google eye her? Let the Spirit of God convict. And so, at any moment, wherever you're at in this relationship, ask yourself. Give Jesus permission. He says, hey... I'm tapping, you're out. I'm jumping in. And when he jumps in, would he continue to follow through with what you started? That changes everything, doesn't it? Now, here's the, 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 the reality. Jesus is already there. And yet, we get so absorbed and we get so clogged in our hearts and minds with, with the, the obsession for, for this intimacy that we lose out and we forget what Christ wants us to do. At any moment in your life, give Jesus permission to tap you out and for him to finish what you've started. How differently would you live in a dating relationship? What kind of decision would you make in this world? Any kind of decision. You're walking through life. You're going through life and you're needing to make this business decision. At any moment... Jesus has permission? Hey, tap it out and to stand in your spot and to finish what you've started. Would he continue with this or would he retreat from it? You see, the moment you set a line, how far you can go, you begin to push the limits. But when you focus this relationship on Jesus Christ and what he can be in that relationship and how he can be glorified... Everything changes. Paul says, don't even let a hint of that in your life. By the way, it's never too late, no matter where you're at in a relationship right now, to retreat from it and say, let's rethink this. Let's do what's right. You're never too far down the path to retreat back and repent back and do what God wants you to do. Do you believe that, by the way? You are never too far. Some believe, well, we're just too far. We might as well just continue this path. Listen, the favor and blessing of God will never be upon your business decision, your personal decision, your relationship decisions if it's not honoring Jesus Christ. The stuff that leaves you feeling guilty. People ask, well, how do you know if you've went too far? You know the answers to this. It's like, well, how do you know, Pastor Jim? You know that stuff that makes you feel yucky and guilty? and just like it's nasty, and it's like you, you have that, and you just try to push it off, and you wonder if you should be doing it, and you get get hot, maybe just kind of flush talking about it, and you're in a relationship, and it begins to happen, and you're like, oh, that's the stuff. Paul says, don't go there. There shouldn't even be a hint of that, and if there's a hint of that, then get out. But we're so afraid if we get out of this relationship that somehow... And someone else won't come along. Let me tell you, the moment you do what Christ wants you to do, the power and blessing of God will just overwhelm you. And he will provide for everything you need. Okay, that's sexual morality. We often don't talk about greed. Paul says, not only sexual morality, but not even a hint of greed. Think about our world we live in. Everyone wants something that's newer, faster, bigger, quicker. I mean, our homes are loaded with stuff that we haven't used for years. Marketers are smart. The minute you buy the iPhone 4, the iPhone 5 is going to come out. It's like they got you, they pulled you in, and like you're waiting for that next gadget. You need that next gadget to be faster. And so we have all these gadgets around. And when in in truth, the old gadget worked fine. And yet greed comes into our lives. Our, Our barns are overflowing with things that we haven't used for years. Our garages are stuffed. Our basements have boxes marked with with items in them that we haven't used. We have China cabinets in our homes that are full of china that no one's ever eaten. We don't eat on that. But isn't it beautiful? And it's like, where where have we went? This greed has been easily, easily, easily etched into our minds, and we don't know. It. We could sell that china and use it for God's glory, or is good, or 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 feed someone with it. Now I'm talking about balance here. I'm not talking about being extreme. But you got to ask yourself those questions. There are probably things in your basement that are boxed behind other boxes. If a robber came into your house tonight and removed all that, you wouldn't even know it. It's the truth. Yet someone else could use it. Greed has infiltrated our minds. Seriously, look how it's crept into shopping. We live in a world that has malls. We have incredible big malls. And so these malls are designed to have glass windows. And you walk by these malls. And you walk by and you covet. Oh, I'd like to have that. Oh, I'd like to have that. And so you spend all this time walking through these large malls, looking at all this stuff that you think you need. And by the time you get to the end, you're lethargic. And you're worn out because from coveting. <sighs> and so when you get to the end, they're smart. They give you 500 choices of ice cream and 500 choices of coffee that you can buy. And so this cycle continues. If they didn't get you with the clothing. They get you because you're worn out and lethargic from just coveting. And greed is taking over in our world and we don't even recognize it. It's subtle. It comes on us before we know it. We get into this vicious cycle. And we overload our credit cards and we pray for the rapture. Please, God, Jesus, come back, come back, come, Jesus, come tonight, Jesus. (laughs) Paul says, remove any hints of greed. Remove any hints of sexual immorality. Remove any hint of impurity. If someone robbed your closets in your basements while you sat at Grace Community Church today, would you even know it? Ask God to reveal the ways greed has begun to clutter your life. And while you're living in this world, that old car that still has high miles on it, that still runs just perfectly, is probably good enough. Yeah, that one there. I mean, I battle with it too. Man, Jeep Commander just screams at me. Two thousand eleven Jeep Commander White with a little little camera that you can watch while you're backing up. Beep, 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 beep. Oh man, it's made for me and my wife. I know it. I just told people in ten years I'll own that puppy, that two thousand eleven. I will. And so, you need these devices in your life that, that check those things. By the way, nothing wrong with a new vehicle. It's just living within your means. I know what my means are. Then he goes on. It's like, geez, I man, can we just, just go home? It's like, holy cow, I've got a lot of work to do. But Paul didn't stop there. He moves on. Look what else he says next. He says, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk. The word moron in Greek is used there. Moron talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather what? What's the word? Thanksgiving. For of this you could be sure, no immoral and pure, greedy person, such a man as an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Look what it says. Instead of coarse talking and joking, you should have a mouth of praise. Isn't it refreshing to get around someone who always looks at the good, Instead of looking at all the hurtful things and all the painful things of the past, it focuses on the successes and what God has done, and it praises God, and out of the same mouth comes praise. And Paul says, instead of of course talking, instead of, of the, that, let, there become, let their praise come out of that. No obscenity. Ask yourself a question. Do you struggle in this area? You're in the workplace. You're in school. Someone says something that's off-color. Do you laugh? Or do you say, You know what, I'd rather not hear that. When a man says something, another man some, and that that, that thought that runs through your mind, that, that sexual in your window, that just kind of just bounce it off, when that thought runs through the temptation to say it, do you respond to it, Paul says, or do you let it go? Because the temptation isn't a sin, but it's what you do with it. Paul says, control your tongues, control your mouth. Let praise and thanksgiving come from with within your mouth. I mean, think about this. I'm dating myself here. How many of you remember the, the movie Gone with the Wind? Gone with the Wind. Great classic movie. Do you realize when it first came out that they wouldn't put it in the movie theaters because it had the D word in it? Kids are saying, "What's the D word? Dumb? Dumber? I don't." Know. I mean, think how far we moved. We don't even know what the word the D word is anymore. We moved from D. We moved down the alphabet to F, and before we know it, we're going to be at Z. It's just like we just keep moving down the alphabet. That's what's, what's appropriate and acceptable. And, and, and Paul is saying, listen, don't let those words, those thoughts come from your mind. You can live in the world. Your address should be the same. But your line of conviction should be different than the world. Be different. Don't be weird. And we have a lot of people who have a line of conviction, but you're still weird. Paul says, be different. Live as Christ lived amongst other people. Ask yourself some simple questions. Do you regularly join in conversations that you shouldn't join in? So, you're having this conversation at work. Someone else wants to talk and you're seated there. Give Jesus permission. Hey, tap out and set in your spot. Would he pick up where you're at? Paul's saying Christ followers do what Jesus would do. He says, clean up your mouths, clean up your minds, clean up your hand gestures. Do not partner with them. You see the line that is supposed to, the conviction line is supposed to separate us is gone. It just is. That conviction line is gone. It's blended. It's the same. And Paul is saying, don't do it. Danny Warfel, who was a good, I would say a great college quarterback, He didn't achieve what he did in the pros just for a few years what he did in college. But the system that he was in at Florida with the Gators was a good system. And he did well. He played well. His teams won. And in 1996, Danny Warfel won the Heisman Trophy Award, which in college football is the, the award that says you are literally the best college football player that's playing at this time. And in 1996, he won that award. Danny Warfel is a follower of Christ. During the same time, he was also an All-American. Playboy magazine wanted to take all the collegiate football All-Americans, get them all together, take a picture, and put it in Playboy magazine. Danny Warfel had a decision to make. Would he live in the world? Would he use his line of conviction? Or would he use the world's line of conviction? So he had a decision to make. And his response to that was... Pretty simple. Here's what he said. He said, it did not take any thought at all. It wasn't a thing I had to waste much time thinking about. That is not the kind of person I want to portray. And so they asked him and they went in for this interview. He said, not doing it. And they asked him why. He says, well, that's not what I want to do. That's not what i portray." And He said, in fact, I don't have much. I don't want to spend any more time thinking about it. You see, he had a mind that was set, a conviction that was known. He didn't like... And so that picture appeared, and all the other guys were in it except Danny Warfel. And you know who's remembered for that 1996 class more than anybody? Danny Warfel. Because he wasn't in the picture. But in God's picture, he shined brightly. Paul moves on. Look at verses 8 to 14. Paul says this, For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. But rather expose them. For it is what? What's your Bible say? Shameful even to what? Mention. Now look at that. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That is why it is said. Look what Paul says. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. This phrase in verse 11 struck me In a strong way this week. Look at it. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Then he says in 12, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. There's this sense that when we walk into the world and we live amongst as we should, that our light exposes darkness, behaviors that are that we wouldn't do. And so when we walk into a dark room or dark basement or an old building that has cockroaches, if our light's not on, we don't see them. We just hear the squishing as we walk. But if our light shines, ah! everyone screams, bug. And the picture is that our light exposes darkness. It also says this, that it's shameful even to, look, look what it says, it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do. In other words, you don't have to go there and talk about the the things that people are doing that's evil. Let the light expose it. Give it over to God. Don't practice it yourself. But don't we love hearing the stories, the juicy stories about what other people are doing? How many of you spent hours reading all the laundry lists of Tiger Woods? The word of God says, don't even fill your minds with that garbage. How many of you love grabbing National Enquirer, just seeing who's doing what and what's saying this and that? And it's like you stand in the line. It's like, oh, I can't wait to read this. And the Word of God is saying, don't even fill your minds with what the evil and disobedient. Don't clog your filters. It's a waste of time. We're supposed to be light. And then Paul says, "Wake up, O oh sleeper." In other words, you are becoming dead to the evil that has invaded your life. You have become. Comatose Christians. Our filters are clogged. This morning I went in for our John Deere mower and I, I pulled the air filter out. It's like Jim time I to change the filter. And it's it's you can see it's dirty, right? And so the air that flows through here doesn't give efficiency like it could to my mower. And so I even got so close to this dirt that there's a spot on my shirt, and I'm gonna show you right here. I was gonna wipe it off. No, I just showed you. there's a hint. Of, of, of sin. There it is. And so my mind is clogged and, and, or this filter is clogged. And what happens when it's clogged, what comes out of this isn't a, a clear conscience, isn't a clear decision. And Paul is saying this, that we must go and clean our filters so that when something comes in, a question comes through, we need to know on the other end, is this the thing that Christ wants me to do? But I think that our lines of convictions are clogged. Because we are living in sin and we don't take time to regularly confess and ask God to forgive. And so if there's a period of time where you're just doling doling in sin and you're in sin and sin, your, your filter gets clogged and you can't make the decisions that Christ, not even make them, that you can't even hear the heart and voice of God. So what we're supposed to do is clean our filters. Now, a clean filter makes a difference. What comes out of it is right from God. And so when that conviction comes, it's like, I know what I'm supposed to do. Instead of saying, well, what's everyone else doing? Like your children are asked, well, everybody else is doing it. And you say, hey, your line of conviction is different than everyone else. So Paul says, make sure you do what you should be doing. Then he goes on and says this. Look at verse 15. Be very what? What's the word? Careful. Then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are getting better and better and better. Is that what it says? Evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. The Greek word moron is there again. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the what? Spirit. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul goes on and he carefully says be very careful with how you spend your time. All of us are only given a certain amount of time and only God himself knows what that is. And what he's saying is, whatever you choose to do with your time, make sure you're making the decision that the line of conviction says you should make. You can make a lot of decisions in this, and we do make lots of decisions based upon time that we have. And the truth be known today is this, You make time for what you want to make time for. And so Paul is saying, be careful how you use your time. Make the most of every opportunity. Use it for God's glory. Make the most of your time. Think about this for a second. I think we live in a world, and I know because I live in this world, that schedules can be crazy. If you have children and you are you're not you didn't lose like six hairs this week or you didn't gain like four gray hairs this week trying to keep up with them and their schedules, then probably you're not living in the same world I'm living in. Or you've chosen to grab a hold of your calendar and your clock and not let someone else dictate it. Paul is saying that's what you need to do. I mean, think about this in all seriousness. The church of Jesus Christ is in serious trouble. If we continue, especially as parents, to allow the activities of our children to run our lives. let, Let me just say something to coaches that are here today, Christian coaches. I really encourage you to allow, to become a Christian coach that values God, that values family, and that values freedom. Yes, you want your student to be a great athlete. There's many ways to become a great athlete. But listen, give your children an opportunity to say, I can't make it this weekend because I want to worship in the local church with my family and give God glory. Is that so bad? Be a Christian coach that says, It's okay. Be a Christian coach that says, You know what? Your family's on vacation. You know what? Go take that vacation. You need to spend time with your family. But here's what is happening. Parents, you're allowing your children's schedules to run you from here to California on the weekends. And you're saying, well, this is what they need to do to be accepted. This is what they need to do to get on top. And before you know it, they're not even experiencing Wednesday. Pastor Rich will tell you this, our, our, our youth pastor. He watches juniors and seniors in high school extracurricular activities come in and they start dropping off. And when, when in reality, and the parents will say, well, they're great kids and they're doing think, Listen, if your kid's a great kid, he needs to be there investing or she needs to be there investing in someone who needs a good mentor. And so we're allowing all these schedules. Listen, if your kid, as a parent, you say, you know, we're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. But be careful because look at the stats. We have high school graduates in here. Stats tell us that only 9% of you will be involved in a local church after you leave Grace Community Church when you go to college. And here's why. Because probably your parent hasn't valued that. And they've let you do all other extracurricular things on Sunday in replacement of God, and you're going to find other good things to do. Parents, grab a hold of your schedules for your kids. Put Christ back in the center. Don't let a blue ribbon dictate what they do with their lives enough said. Make wise decisions with your time. Make them with your businesses. Make them with your families. Make them with your God time. Have balance, Paul is saying. If it's out of whack, if you're a business owner and you're not home and you're, not, and you're a father and you're not spending the time that you need or a mother, you're not spending time. Paul's saying, be careful. And not only be careful, make the most of it, but take those times to link God to them. Lead them to Christ. Use it for kingdom purposes that will have lasting impact. He wraps it up by saying this. Don't get drunk on wine, get drunk on Jesus. Here's what that means. It means when you're so close to God that the love of God oozes out of you. You're not weird you're different. You love the people. You walk with the people. You work with them. You, you care for them. They come to you because they see something about you that's caring, compassionate, full of love. And they ask you questions. They invite you into their lives. And when they invite you in your lives, you can say, here is why I'm able to do this. It's because of Jesus Christ. And then he says, a spirit-filled person, they are quick to praise God. Thanksgiving comes from their lips. They're a worshiper. Thanksgiving is evident and worship comes from their lips. There's a lot to be said. It's packed into that passage, but basically it's this. When you have a chance to worship, whether it's corporate or by yourselves, you have so much praise in you, it just wants to come out because you've spent time with God. Be different. Push back. Don't get sucked into all the traps and the window shopping in our world. The reward will be worth it when you stand at the Bema seat one day. And he says, how did you live your life? How did you spend your time? Where is your line of conviction? And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to wrap up our service today with a prayer time with you. Because I think this is so important that we need to deal with it right now. I think the possibility exists that many in this room have their filters clogged. I think the possibility exists that some of you have bought into this rat race and and your schedule is out of control. I think the possibility exists that some of